there are men who have no idea that very good is usually very bad, fair is terrible, and near mint probably got pressed with an iron at some point. And then there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein. Two above-average collectibles with minor manufacturing defects and light foxing at the corners. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass men. With special grown-ass guest, Douglas Woke, author of All of the Marvels. Hi, Douglas. Hello. Hi, now I've unmuted. Or you look like you're in a, a grown-ass man cave right there. Uh, pretty much. It's, the, it's actually the attic of my house. So That's what it looks like. It looks like an attic. It looks like great things are waiting on deck to be read behind you or listened to. Hope so. Including a Beach Boys book, which... Wow, that's impressive. Yes, uh, it is I indeed. guess anything Beach Boys, like, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to us. We, we both read your book and we love your book. I'm so glad. Thank you. You really say some amazing and fascinating stuff about how to read comics in general, not just about how to read your book, but, you know, sort of how to read comics. But uh, first of all, I just don't know, like, is this your first book? What do you usually write about? So this is actually my fourth book. My first book was one of the books in the 33 and a third series uh, about oh. James Brown's Live at the Apollo. Right. Um, Specifically, James Brown performing one show during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Out of mind, out of mind. Your love. Out of mind, out of you think of, but I do. Second book was called Reading Comics, and it was just a bunch of essays about like particular comics I like. Uh, then the third book was actually, I probably have a copy. Yes. Uh, third book was a Judge Dredd graphic novel. Huh. Uh, that I wrote and Ulysses Farinas drew. Um, and it is mostly about how much I hate LA. Uh, <laughs> Your new book is fascinating. All of you. the Marvels. And, and like, it's, you know, the, the title says it all in, in a way. I had never thought about this before. The idea that the oeuvre of Marvel Comics is, how do you describe it? The longest running story in human history? Yeah, I mean, it is the biggest story that I know of in terms of just sheer number of pages. It's you know been running since 1961. They have never rebooted. They have never said all this stuff didn't happen. Every part is connected potentially to every other part. Uh, every part has to be more or less at least compatible with every other part. Any old part of it can be referred to in any new part. And that's like well over half a million pages. It's a lot. It's a real lot. And still going, you know. Uh, there's 10, 15, 20 new comics every week, 20 pages a piece, just adding onto the pile. So you did this demented um, assignment where you decided to read every comic. How did you decide which book to begin with? Like, what did you, did you actually decide, like, this is the starting point from what I'm going to read and this will be the end point and I'm going to read everything in between? The starting point is generally considered Fantastic Four number one. Stanley and Jack Kirby in 1961. I actually ended up moving my starting point a little bit earlier. 
uh, because of my ongoing obsession with Linda Carter, student nurse, which is a comic that started. That was a uh, great part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I actually wrote uh, a little extra thing, uh, a little like chapbook that ended up being sent out to people who pre-ordered the book from my favorite comic store books with pictures in Portland, Oregon. That is just a completely fictional history of Marvel comics in the 60s and 70s from the premise of like, okay, uh, let's let's just assume that the commercial and aesthetic breakthrough of 1961 was not Fantastic Four, but Linda Carter student nurse. And what would have happened if Marvel had just like poured all of its resources and all of its creative energy into more comics about like young professional women and teenage girls. Nursing. Yeah. More comics about nursing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Who's the girl who started it all? Made the doctors watch their backs. And she's so much more than that. And I hope student nurse she works at the hospital she has a few friends at home she doesn't ever want to be alone she never wants to be alone she's She's the center of the marvel universe and she knows linda carter student nurse But so uh, that so that was that was roughly my starting point, and I ended up reading basically everything that Marvel published in 1960 and 61 anyway, because there's fantastic romance comics and there's amazing monster comics and there's all this other stuff. And for a stopping point, my nominal stopping point was Marvel Legacy number one from 2017, because. A, I had to have a stopping point somewhere and B, like that, that's a very nice kind of like wrapping up the threads and moving on to the next phase kind of issue. I didn't stop there. I kept going. I think there's some stuff in there about House of X, Powers of Ten, which came out in 2019 and is my favorite mainstream comic of the last few years. Like, I I don't know if you've read it, but I absolutely love that book. Within those, those boundaries, the boundary I drew for myself was... It had to be published by Marvel within that period, uh, and it had to be a story in which the version of Peter Parker who appears in The Amazing Spider-Man could appear if he wanted to without using a time machine and without using a dimension hopping machine. So like, if it's happening in the same world at the same time and Peter Parker could show up whether or not he does, I had to read it. For example, the Marvel Comics adaptation of the Indiana Jones movies would not be something you had to read because Spidey could never have turned up there. Exactly. Now, he could have turned up in some surprising places. Uh, you know, I had to read every issue of Godzilla because Dum Dum Dugan is in every issue of Godzilla. Rom and Micronauts and like all those, yes. Now, Transformers, no, because Spider-Man does appear in an issue of Transformers very early on. But we just have to assume it's a different Spider-Man. Really? Yeah. Uh, and when I talked to Chris Sims from uh, <clears throat> War Rocket Ajax a couple months ago, he was like, oh, yeah, OK, I have, I have the out for you there. Because Death's Head 2 came to the Marvel Universe from somewhere. And the somewhere he came from has to have been the Transformers Universe. Great. OK, good. I'm off the hook. Oh. Well. This is a puzzle beyond belief. Did you also read all the magazines? Like, um, 
you know, Savage Tale. Well, you didn't do Conan. Which, didn't do Conan. So yeah, that was. Um, uh, I thought I was surprised by that, but I understood your reasoning. Both Hulk and Howard the Duck and the, those magazines, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of magazines once you cut out the Conan stuff. There's really well, not. there was uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, uh, the two issues in the late 60s of Spectacular Spider-Man. How long, if I were to take on this kind of a job, how how much time would I have Don't to do set it. aside? Don't do it. <laughs> it's not worth it. You're too young. <laughs> what if... <laughs> What if I set aside three months? Would that be enough to read no. all of the? No. <laughs> what if I set aside six months of my life and left my job and someone else supported me and my family and I just read comics for six months? Would I be able to read all the Marvel comics? How fast do you read? I guess the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, how fast do you read is a relevant question here. I thought that to read all the comics and write the book would take about two and a half years total. Uh, it took six. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was doing some other things for the first couple of years of that too. Yeah. After the first couple of years, I was not doing so much besides that. Wow. How did you, so some of these things are obviously out of print. How did you get the Linda Carter? Cause I had never even heard of that first Linda Carter. I knew the Night Nurse stuff. Yeah. I mean, not like I like really dig deep into Night Nurse. I, there's still time. Finding everything was not the hard part. Finding hours in the day was the hard part. Yeah. And I did, uh, in terms of the order I read them, I just read whatever I felt like reading on any given day. I did not read in any sort of specific predetermined order, except I saved uh, for dessert. I saved Thunderbolts because I knew I was going to like Thunderbolts and I knew it would be like a fun way to end. So that was that was the last thing. Yeah. That's one of the things that I loved that you said in the book is about how you didn't read them in order and nobody has to read them in order. Really, yeah, they're no. not made to be digested that way. It's a, totally it's a big not. story that you can sort of dip into where you want and leave it if you aren't enjoying it. Yeah. And these things are just, they are made for pleasure and fun and enjoyment. They are not supposed to be homework. They're not supposed to be like painful research that you have to push through. Like just go for the fun stuff. You may get confused a little bit. That's fine. Being confused is fun. Being confused and finding your way out of confusion, like having that, oh, I get it now moment. That's the best thing. Yeah. I'm imagining that You've been hearing from a lot of people because of this book, fans, writers, artists, people in the industry. Are you having a lot of people completely disagree with the choices that you put in here to represent? No, um, it's it's not even the best. It's not even my favorite. Like it skews toward some of my favorite stuff. But I am much more interested in giving people the tools to figure out what their own favorites are mm. than in saying like, you know, here is the canon, here's the stuff I like, and now everybody has to like these. Like, no, I wanted to be a tour guide. I wanted to say like, I have covered this whole territory and now I'm gonna show you some interesting starting points on it and you can explore on your own from there. Which makes lucky. me uh, ask then, why Marvel and not DC? Why Marvel and not DC? Because like I said, Marvel is one big story Right. DC has reset a couple times. DC has had 
two and sort of three times when they've said like, okay, we are starting fresh. Everything before this point didn't happen. Marvel's never done that. And that's a difference. They're the only other things I can think of that have that kind of long-term narrative continuity are like some soap operas. But the difference is that with soap operas, there is not the kind of easy availability of the past. There is no Marvel Unlimited for Days of Our Lives. There are ways to see, or in, in cases of like Search for Tomorrow, which started as a radio show, like hear old stuff. And now, Search for Tomorrow. But they're difficult. And you don't see this sort of frequent callbacks to stuff from 20, 30, 40 years ago, which you do in the Marvel story. Here's a question I have for you. When you were going about, for one thing, six years. <laughs> yeah. Six years. Well, but there, there's, there's, a, there's an asterisk next to that, which, which I'll get to, but go on. Maybe this is the asterisk. If you had already read Spider-Man, 121 and 122 when you were younger did you give yourself credit for that and not reread it (laughs) during your six-year period or did you read everything during that six years so the rule that i initially set for myself was if i remembered chapter and verse everything that happened in the given comic like it was fine i could skip it and then i realized if i remember chapter and verse everything that happened in the given comic i probably wanted to read it again Right. Yeah. So there, there is not a lot of stuff that I ended up skipping rereading. Um, there are some things I had read in the previous couple of years that I was like, okay, fine. Like I, I, this is a story I know cold. But the six years, the asterisk next to that is that I ended up writing the book twice. I wrote it and it was terrible. Hmm. It was boring it was tedious it was me talking to the inside of my head it did not work and i ended up like scrapping it uh i probably threw out 90 percent of it 85 percent. okay 85 percent. let's say and started over Mm. and it was much much harder the second time in part and like finishing it during the pandemic why was it harder the second time because um, the second time I didn't, I realized like, oh, this has to be good. Like this, this has to be light and charming and funny and communicate and reach out to an audience and be thinking about the reader at every turn. There's a lot of stuff I ended up just, I like this, but it has to go. Well, I was very impressed with your, especially the first, I don't know, three chapters or something like that, where you're sort of setting up the premise of the book. I loved how your narrative voice was talking to people who didn't necessarily know much about comics, or maybe they knew a lot about comics. You weren't talking down to anybody, but you were talking as if, hey, you don't have to know anything about this. Maybe you're coming into this as if somebody who only, you know, reads newspapers his whole life. And so I thought that was a really great approach to how informative your your whole book was going to be for that kind of a reader. Thank you so much. Yeah, that that is a trick that I really like when I can pull off, and it is not always easy. Uh, I've been writing about comics for kind of 
popular media for a while. I was a New York Times graphic novel reviewer for a while, uh, wrote some stuff for Time Magazine and stuff. And getting that voice right so you can explain stuff without seeming like, here, watch me being explainy. I'm pretty happy with how it turned out in the book. All right, here's the bone to, that I have to pick with you. Go for it. What I love about your book is that not only do you go through the you know sort of essential moments for many of the storylines, but you also, in a few thousand words at the end of the book, you tell the entire story of the Marvel universe. You tell it as quickly as you can, which is fun to read. I love it. Here's the problem I have, though. I would have put Peter Parker and Spider-Man as a much more central figure in that overall narrative than, than you do. And don't you think that New York City is, is the nexus of everything in the Marvel Universe? Like, New York City, you know, because Kirby and Lee lived here and because that's where it all started, it feels like that's the starting point for so many characters and so many ideas from uh, in, in the Marvel Universe. And I, 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 that's my my bone to pick with your uh, wonderful narrative. There's not enough about Spidey and not enough about New York. In there. there actually was a New York chapter in the original version of the book that ended up getting cut. But there's a lot of different ways to spin. Like, this is what the overall story looks like. I mean, it's real fallible. Like, it's, there's there's a lot of places to argue with <laughs> with me. I love your recommendations in there, though, because you don't put them out as recommendations necessarily, but sometimes I took them that way, and I picked up a Spider-Man comic that you had enthused about, and I just loved it. Um, Ooh, I think it was 656. I think it's Dan Slott. It's the one right before he gets his Spider-Man armor. Right, yeah, okay. The, the, so the beginning, big time. That's one of the ones that Marcos Martin drew. He's he's just amazing. I, I teach comics history at Portland State. And mm. uh, we looked at The Private Eye, which is the comic that uh, Martin did with Brian K. Vaughan. Um, and people are like, this guy's great. Well, you mentioned so many of the great artists. And that was really a nice feature of just reminding me of who did what. It did make me want to read the first, I probably wouldn't start stop with 100, but I wanted to read the FF yeah. through the first 100. I love that thing that you said about the Fantastic Four, where you said that basically after, after issue 100, nothing happened for yeah. at least another 100 issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really, it really does not. They, they're just, you know, maybe Stan and Jack will come back or we have to keep doing it as if maybe Stan and Jack will come back. And then you've got, you know, Steve Englehart, who, when he's writing it, like writes Reed and Sue out of the book. And he's like, right. Fantastic Four has to evolve. We're going to change the cast. We're going to do everything differently. And then he gets fired from Fantastic Four, but given a year's notice. And then Simonson comes in and is delightful. And speaking of him, which I enjoyed the Thor chapter a lot, was very clear that you're the only person who understands what has happened in Thor. 
<laughs> I mean, nobody knows what's happened in Thor and Tales of Asgard. We all read those Thors, but nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, the first couple of years of Thor comics are not good. The first few are horrendous. Yeah. They're stuck with the Don Blake problem where he's got a, a secret identity. That like if you come into Spider-Man, like from the beginning, like it's just fully formed. Like page one, we know what this is. Thor just takes a while to even find its feet. Daredevil takes how many years to find its feet? Like 10? Uh, more than that. Like, you know, there is a case to be made for some of the Gene Colin stuff, but really it doesn't really hit until Frank Miller shows up, and that's 15 years in. Right. It, but Daredevil is such an interesting character, I think, because several people have been able to reinvent Daredevil yeah. and make it great. Yeah. And that promise wasn't necessarily there in the first 50 issues. Yeah, it's really not. Not even the first hundred. Yeah. And yet, I mean, they, you know, they combine him with Black Widow, like he can't even carry his own book. You know, uh, the Anacenti John Romita Jr. period uh, from the late 80s is amazing. Like, it's, I still can't wrap my brain around it. It is way ahead of its time. It's super eccentric and super beautiful and just has its own aesthetic in a huge, huge way. And then, you know, there's the Bendis and Believe period, which yeah, I love that. is fantastic. Yeah. And then, you know, Mark Wade. I keep hearing about how good the Chip Zdarsky Marco Cicchetto run is. I have not read it yet, and I think I need to catch up. The Actually, the music analogy I was thinking of was for Daredevil, which is like the thing that kind of rattles along for a really long time and then figures it out. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac's breakthrough record was their 12th. Right. And then they figured it out. Well, I'm going to write a book like this about Fleetwood Mac, and I'll have many chapters about, you know, Bob Welch. Yes. And Jeremy Kernan, Kerwin, something like yep, that. Yep, <laughs> that, yep. That's good, man. You're on this stuff, man. <laughs> Impressive. You came over Fleetwood Mac. That's that's definitely it. I mean, my, my favorite music analogy in the whole book is when when I, like, you know, compare uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby to Hall & Oates. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to let you off the hook with that one. So, uh, like Hall and Oates, you know, there is one of them, in this case Kirby, who is the star, who is the front person, who does a great deal of the creative work. And there is also one, in this case Stan Lee, uh, or John Oates, who is the one without whom the magic does not happen. Oh, come on, no! <laughs> Fully, 100% disagree so <laughs> intensely all right bring it on i have, have a second episode just about this <laughs> but we have to only talk about the earlier records because that is some of their best stuff by far an abandoned luncheonette is equal john Oates and you know and daryl hall and that's by far their best <laughs> record i always defend Oates. <laughs> i have another question for you yeah I was talking with my daughter about this the other day. She's really interested in, she's, she's thinking a lot about queer Marvel characters and how many there have been and how out they have been. In your reading of all of the Marvel comics, 
What do you see in terms of gay representation, of queer representation in, in comics, in, in Marvel? So it takes a little while. Um, the first same-sex couple in Marvel's comics, um, like arguably it's old Dan and the Asp, who are in the uh, Living Mummy stories and supernatural thrillers around 1974. There's also a you know, strongly implied couple uh, in like, some of Don McGregor's Black Panther stories. Um, you get the first trans character, uh, the first trans superhero character, or actually I should say gender fluid uh, superhero character is Cloud from New Defenders. Peter Gillis was writing it. Um, who like just like sometimes Cloud's a boy, sometimes Cloud's a girl. All the same to Cloud. Uh, Bobby Drake develops a crush on Cloud as a girl and gets really freaked out when Cloud's a boy. Oh, Bobby. Oh, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was all there in Bobby Drake's subtext for a long time. Um, the first superhero character to be out as gay is North Star. And that's botched badly for a long time. Uh, but then stuff starts happening all over the place. Um, there's, I don't know if you've read the uh, Kieran Gillen, Jamie McKelvey Young Avengers series from like 2013. Uh, it is great. And the punchline of one of the last episodes is like, no, there is not one single straight person on this team. Wow. Uh, or rather, uh, you know, Kate Bishop says to America, like, am I the only straight person on this team? And America says, like, I've seen the way you look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, one of one of my absolute favorites of the last few years, Koi Boy, an unbeatable squirrel girl, right. who is not even signaled until there's a scene where Squirrel Girl and Chipmunk Hunk and Koi Boy are all changing into their superhero costumes in the alley. And somebody tweeted at Erica Henderson, the artist, wait, is Koi Boy wearing a binder? And Erica Henderson was like, well, we weren't going to do a spe very special episode about it or anything. Great. Love it. So it's just there. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of queer characters in X-Men now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, like a ton, a ton. That has always been a nexus for queer readings like x-men has been a thing that you could do queer readings of real easily oh. storm and yukio from the get like it was never text but there was never anything in the text to contradict it uh and you know, there's lots of ways to read x-men you can read x-men as you know you can read it as a disability story you can talk about like Nightcrawler as being disabled. There's a famous letter writer in uh, like 148 or 149 who says like, okay, this I identify with Nightcrawler in this way. And that is not explicitly in the text, but there's also nothing in the text that's going to say, no, that's not right. Wait a second. You didn't read all the letters pages too, did you? I did when I could. Wow. Holy crap. I mean, some of those letters pages are fascinating. You know, George R. R. Martin's first published byline is a letter in an issue of Fantastic Four when he's 15 years old and doesn't have a second R as his middle initial yet. Wow. Half of the people writing into these comics are people who went on to make comics or to make culture or, you know, um, 
in Amazing Spider-Man, I think 600, uh, in the letter column, the editor is like, okay, so our first letter column was in Amazing Spider-Man number three. I'm really curious, is there anybody who is reading it then that's still reading it now? And he got a bunch of letters from people who had who were reading it then, including one of the kids who had a letter printed in Amazing Spider-Man number three, who went on to you know write a bunch of books and do a column for Billboard, and now he writes the Dick Clark New Year's Eve special every year and has written a bunch of TV. And he was like, yeah, you know, um, I wanted to be a writer. Stanley treated me like one, and that's what I became. The idea that, <clears throat> like, hey, kids, write in, and you can be part of this giant cultural project too, like, that is transparently a lie, and it also turned out to be true. <laughs> that's magic. Here's my invisible ukulele. Oh, very good. Yeah. Maybe you could play as a tune before the night. Linda Carter, yeah. There is actually a theme song for it. There's the gotta book. be a Linda Carter song in this episode. There, there, there is in fact a theme song for the book that mentions Linda Carter. Really? Oh. For I'll play your, it for you at the end if you book, want. This is a theme song. Yes. Where do we hear it? I was toting my short box up the stairway to my storage space when the ghost of Stanley appeared and got right up in my face. He said, howdy, true believer. I said, smiley, get thee gone. If you presented it, I've read it. You've got nothing left to sell me on. He said, of course I do, Effendi. Let me have a look. I said, nope, I've read through every Marvel superhero book. I read every one, Stan. I read every one, Stan. It was mostly fun, Stan. Shared them with my son, Stan. Comics by the ton, Stan. I read every one. I read Gamma Core, Cy Force, Omega Flight, Valkyrie Vision, Blue Loki, Venom, Space Knight, Nick Fury, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Jubilee, Spider-Man, Reptilian Rage, Monsters on the Prowl, Creatures on the Loose, The Amazing Spider-Man, Fight, Substance Abuse, and I read every one, Stan. I read every one, Stan. Mostly fun stand, share with my son stand, comics by the ton stand, I read every one. I read strange tales, moral tales, tales of suspense, Punisher, Wolverine, damaging evidence, to a dark script, the shadows, chamber of chills, white tiger, winner, maker, winner, soldier, winner, kills, codename, spitfire, firestar, blaze, annihilation, damnation, that man, last days, I read every one stand, I read every one stand, it was mostly fun stand, share with my son stand, comics by the ton stand, I read every Dr. Spectre, Dr. Strange, Linda Carter, Student, Nurse, Bloodseed, Bloodstone, Blood Glory, Blink, Blink, Inferno, Inhumanity, Infinity, Crusade, Hercules, Prince of Power, Chaos War, Chaos King, Wonder Man, Giant Man, Giant Size Man Thing. I read every one stand, I read every one stand, it was mostly fun stand, shared with my son stand, comics by the ton stand, I read every one. I read Dominic Fortune, Domino, Hot Shots, Mighty Thor, Mystique, Mosaic, Magic, Micronauts, Rob Rogue, World of Rooms, Racket Raccoon, Marvel Now, Point One, Deadpool, Two, Super Four, Four, Marvel's Captain Marvel, and the Carol, Four, Fifteen, Love, Fantastic Four, One, Two, Three, Four. I read every one stand, I read every one stand, it was mostly fun stand, shared with my son stand, comics by the ton stand, I read every one. Huge thanks to Douglas Woke for being with us today in word and in song. His book is just a pleasure. It's called All of the Marvels, A Journey to the Ends of the Biggest Story Ever Told. It's from Penguin Press. Get it now for the completest in your life. <laughs>